You're listening to Data Plus Love. Today, I'm here with Allie Torben, who you probably know from her highly successful Data Viz Today podcast. She's also a freelancer and more recently has been experimenting with a series of data wallpapers. Allie, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Zach. Thanks for being on. So it's really exciting for me to have someone on that I can actually talk shop with. Um, so I'm saying that as someone with, you know, this will be my 17th podcast, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really seasoned, but you have like 60 plus and two years of experience. So I'm, I'm hoping to steal a lot from you, uh, in this experience. Yeah. Well, you, you made it past the pod fading. Uh, have you heard that term? <laughs> no. Okay. Tell me about this. Okay. At, there's like this joke in podcasting that a lot, most podcasts pod fade, which is like around seven episodes. If you make it past seven, then you've made it. (laughs) You're in it for the long haul. (laughs) That's great. I think I'm just too dumb to quit. Like I probably should have by this point, but I keep going anyway. So yeah. That just means you love it. I do love it. And I, you know, look, if people paid for this, I would definitely do this for a living. But, Mm -hmm. you know, unless you're, you know, Adam Carolla or Joe Rogan, you're not really eking out a living doing this. Yeah, I know. I think that's that's probably the people who are pod fading are the ones that are like, yeah, I'm going to be one of those podcasters that sits in my basement and makes six figures. (laughs) And then they realize it's not like that. And they're like, "Ah, I'll go do something else. Well, so we're talking about the glamorous life of podcasting and mm-hmm. all of the money we don't make doing this. Yeah. So uh, I don't monetize my podcast um, and I, I know you don't as well, um, but uh, it's really difficult to actually find a way to turn this into a revenue stream. I'm saying that without mm-hmm. having actually consciously wanted to do that. Uh, I, I spend money doing this and I do it because mm-hmm. it's a labor of love. But in the same way, it's a great opportunity to get meet new people and sort of branch out and learn stuff along the way that you wouldn't get to if you didn't do it. Yeah. I think that in a lot of ways, podcasting is a lot like being a data viz designer <laughs> and that you have to, um, I mean, first of all, like audience is, is king or queen. You know, you always have to be thinking about your audience. Um, and, you know, you also define success in based on your goals, right? I think that that's kind of like lesson number one in DataViz. Uh, DataViz is successful if it achieves your goals. And same with podcasting. A podcast is successful if it achieves your goals. I mean, if your goal was to have a million downloads and you don't have that, then in your mind, it's not successful. And I think in a lot of people's, a successful podcast makes money. But if that's not your goal, then you can, you can be successful. Your goal is make connections with and learn, which was what was my goal too. So I, I think I'm very successful on that. I was about to ask you what your goal was. So my goal was, um, I was coming off the Tableau conference and experiencing that youth camp high of just hanging out with your, your summer camp friends for a week. And I was thinking, how do I recreate the airport chilies conversation you have mm. with someone after a conference where you're talking about everything you just learned and all the cool stuff you're going to do. And wow, did you see that new thing? And how do I get that, that feeling all the time? And mm. my, my thing is I would trick my friends into doing this. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. So you have been very successful then, and you've gotten 17 episodes in, and those are 17 connections that either were made completely or just made stronger based on based on your podcast and you got to share those conversations with more people it didn't just happen to their person yeah i think my 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 goal was um i hardly had any data viz visualizations to my name when i started i <laughs> i i wanted to um connect more with other other data viz designers and i wanted to so that was that was my goal of starting the podcast and i feel like i have 
be, it's successful because I have become, I got a job as a Dataviz designer <laughs> and I made Obviously, a lot of right? Dataviz friends. And so I, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. And that's why I can't let go of it. Well, there's a certain fake it till you make it aspect with mm-hmm. everything, whether it be Dataviz or podcasting or anything else. If you start doing it at a certain point, you're not faking anymore. You're actually doing it. So yeah, exactly. If you when you, you cross that pod- bridge, exactly. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> At a certain point, people are like, yeah, he does a podcast. It's like, I guess I do do a podcast. And Or same mm-hmm. thing with data viz. You, you start out and you're, I'm not super sure about this, but I'm learning and building skills. And eventually you're actually executing in a meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, would, I was kind of embarrassed at the beginning calling myself a designer because I have a math background. So like, it's like, when am I allowed to call myself a designer? <laughs> didn't have any background in design. So it felt almost like a fraud saying I'm a designer. Um, But yeah, once you just keep doing it, then eventually you just become it. Well, I mean, you are doing it successfully. And it's much like being an artist. How do you know when you're an artist? You know, is my Mm -hmm. is my six year old an artist? Yeah, Mm -hmm. she technically is. She produces art that makes her an artist. I mean, people may not hang it in their galleries or pay a meaningful amount of money for it. But it is art and she is producing it. So you're designing mm-hmm. and you're creating, therefore you're a designer. And it's those kind of imposter complexy things that we all sort of work through uh, in our professional journeys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you see other people, you see other people doing it better and you think, well, since I'm not like that, I just, I'm just not it then. But, you know, there's, there's different levels to everything. Well, hopefully there's always someone better or at least someone different, Mm -hmm. because if there's no one better than you, then you're not really sort of learning and reaching out. Like it's by surrounding yourself by people that are, you know, different or better than you, that you're able to pick up new things and continue to like stretch and grow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who would, who would I interview for the podcast if I was better than everybody? (laughs) I mean, one day, right? (laughs) Yeah, maybe one day. just going to be punching down. It's going to be like data babies podcast. You're just going to be finding all the people that aren't as good as you to be on your podcast. Yeah. Well, I guess that's another thing that you find out the more you, it, you do <clears throat> data viz stuff. And I guess podcasting stuff is there are people who have, there's always going to be somebody who has um, a different skill set and is better at something else specifically than you are. Cause you can't be at the top level of everything. You can always learn something from somebody like your natural ability to have a conversation with somebody. That's, that's a gift for you. And, but for me, my style is more like I need to um, gather information and process it. You know, I'm not really an off the cuff kind of person. So that's kind of my style on my podcast. I have to like kind of churn it in my brain and I have to put piece it together to make a story. <laughs> but you know, like we, that's, that's each of our strength. And for, for um, transparency sake, uh, we are literally, like I, I told Allie, um, there are no prescripted questions for this. I had about four or five things written down saying these might come up. And I told her we would be building a parachute on the way down. And for anyone that's been on my podcast, the first two minutes, if we survive that, and we we have in all of them so far, it'll be fine. But mm-hmm. it's really finding that equilibrium of it becoming a conversation versus the expectation that I'm going to be grilling you. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I definitely respect that. And that's probably, let me ask you this, in terms of data visualization for you. Now, I don't know how much you do strictly professionally versus recreationally. Like I know you have your data wallpaper, which I've seen, which is fabulous. Mm -hmm. And I know you're using like Procreate to make that. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot more questions about your creative process. But in terms Mm -hmm. of that, do you typically have a fully formed idea in 
your head and sort of draft stuff out before you get going? Are you the kind of person that starts putting ideas on a page and then sort of evolves as you go? Yeah, it definitely evolves. I think that uh, kind of sketching it out first really helps. And also sometimes you have an idea, I mean, most of the time really, uh, I have an idea for something, but then when I actually plug in the real data, you see you know, that actually doesn't look that interesting or something in the data, it just doesn't make sense. Um, And then, so you have to try something different. So I'm definitely an iterative person when it comes to data biz. So in terms of your professional work and you have some some of it on your page, I'll obviously only talk about stuff you're able to show. Is a lot of the stuff you work with data in motion, like stuff that's going to be continually updating and refreshing or data at rest, where you're sort of representing a historical context? Usually uh, data at rest, not like, not, not really dashboardy. We need to up to track everything more, more explanatory. Like this is what happened. Um, Maybe it's still exploratory in some ways, um, cause I do, do, I do use Tableau quite a bit, um, because somebody wants a tool tip, you know, to, for more information or to link out to a specific article, but it is mostly, um, explanatory. And that <laughs> I've never heard itself- it. I've oh. never heard it described that way, like historical. <laughs> well, that lends itself to design. So if you're dealing at sort of data at rest where it's stuff that's sort of set in stone, you know, there's not new stuff coming that mm-hmm. really lends your entire page to control where you're able to highly manipulate what shows up on there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I haven't thought about that like for a considerate because I haven't really ever done that much dashboardy, you know, need to monitor type information, but that is an interesting, um, is that the kind of work that you do mostly? So I, I, I have my night and my day stuff, right? So my day mm-hmm. stuff, I, I work for ALSEC, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and fundraising. Mm-hmm. So I'm heavily involved in data in motion where we're actively trying to make sure that we're you know, making the most of our donor dollars in terms of making the next donor dollar. So basically choosing campaigns that make the most sense to help fundraise because it's a, mm. you know, a very important mission. At night when I'm doing sort of my Tableau public key work, um, I'm, that's all data at rest. So my day job, I have to be very conscious of sort of setting up a dashboard style analytics or tools that are going to deal well with whatever might happen next. Because mm-hmm. I don't know where things mm-hmm. are going. I have to create something that is durable and won't break. You have to be able to make calculations and inferences that are going to work even if things change. So you're not Mm -hmm. able to sort of annotate on the page as much, but with my sort of, you know, personal project stuff, you can just go buck wild. It's an art project because you know, okay, whatever's here is all there is and all there's going to be. So there's a high level of control that you can exert over that to shape it the way you want and sort of, you know, be more artistic if you prefer, or alternatively just, you know, mark it up with notes and stuff because when it's set, you can do that. Yeah. Which, which one do you usually prefer? Or do you like that you do a mix? I mean, a mix is fun. The, the day stuff is definitely far more challenging because you have to be able to account for scenarios of, let's say you're comparing one year over uh, the next, you're having to sort of set limits on it to make sure you're comparing only the comparable slice of time. You can't compare mm-hmm. an entire year against a month and a half from the current year and that sort of thing. So you have to get a little more sophisticated in terms of how you structure things. And that goes beyond strictly the data viz practice where you're just like, hey, I want to compare things in a way that's sort of clean and meaningful. That gets way more into the, like the technical aspects of it. Um, so I enjoy both, really. Uh, the the day job is sort of the technical nerdy part, and the mm-hmm. night job is the artsy portion. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
But uh, in terms of sort of your work, uh, you've mentioned uh, Tableau. You also, I know you use Procreate on your iPad. What are your sort of analytics tool sets? Yeah, Tableau. um, A lot of times I'm working in Tableau or R and I'm bringing exporting as a PDF and then I bring it into Illustrator. And then that way I can have a lot more control over all the elements. And then annotating is just way easier (laughs) in Illustrator than it is in Tableau or R. Um, And raw graphs, raw graphs.io. I use that one a lot. Um, That's probably my main three. Or is that four? (laughs) (laughs) I never create charts in Illustrator. It's mostly just cleaning stuff up. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you're fortunate in that because you know it's not going to continue to evolve in a lot of your cases. You're able yeah. to sort of deploy all those different tools onto it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just that is definitely my preferred method of way of creating data viz is just knowing that this is I'm creating this and maybe the data will update in terms of like you know like the numbers, but not like you know um, anything beyond that. So uh, I don't have any experience doing something like that. So that sounds like a whole nother can of worms that I've never even thought of before. <laughs> it's a, it, it, every situation offers its own unique challenges. So if it weren't that, it would be something else. And mm-hmm. obviously with your situation, you're employing all those tools because not a single tool is sufficient to get you everything you want to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people are trying to create tools that do it all, but I, and I think it's just hard because Every job, every data viz job is so different. So how do you build a tool that's going to satisfy everybody? Um, but it's, I think in the future, we'll have more options and it'll be easier to find some flow a little bit better. I think that's true. Um, so currently, are you, are you entirely freelancing in terms of how your business model works or what do you do? No, I am a data viz designer at the American Enterprise. And um, I only work there part-time though. And the other half of my time is spent <laughs> schlepping around two children. Uh, well, not really schlepping them around anymore, keeping them in the house <laughs> and not so, not destroying the house. <laughs> that sounds like five jobs. I mean, I've, I've got <laughs> two little, little devils of my own that are actually physically in school right now. So all mm-hmm. the rest of you, like, take that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm paying a small fortune in private school, but uh, it's worth every penny. <laughs> I know. I know. I wish I had that option now too. I would pay for it for sure. Um, but then also, also on the side, I do, I do some freelancing as well. Um, I like the variety of choosing, choosing my clients and working on different, different, um, different projects. And I have been working on getting into that more because I really like it. Um, and also in freelancing, um, I just really like the control of kind of being my own boss and being able to say no to projects. <laughs> like, oh, that doesn't interest me. <laughs> I think that's a kind of a theme with you. You seem like a very organized person who really enjoys sort of being able to assemble things in a meaningful, constructive manner. And that's sort of continuous across your various projects. Yeah, that that's that is a probably an accurate assessment. I liked I like the control. <laughs> as as I'm pigeonholing you totally as a person, you know. So like you're the controlling you person. You sound like someone who likes to control, <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, it's like control sounds like such a negative word, depending on how you say it. It's like in one hand, you you could be like Elon Musk, like you're very precise. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you're, you're getting that rocket to land vertically. That's control. <laughs> on the other hand, it can sound like, you know, you're domineering, but no, definitely yeah, right. you're, you're organized. Let's go with organized. <laughs> yeah. Organized quality control. I think that's a good way. I like, I like to control because I like to have um, a say and a, uh, I don't want to say a say, but like a, 
um, I just want to make sure that everything is done to my standards. Like I want, I want, I guess um, because my work, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but my work is very tied into my identity. Like the things that I create, um, not like when I was, when I was an analyst, I did not feel like my job was tied to my identity at all. (laughs) Like, you know, I would go home and it was, I would be doing something else, but for some reason, maybe because Dataviz is more, has more of an art kind of feel and you are creating some visual to me, my identity is a little bit more wrapped up into it. Um, and also like with podcasting, you know, it's more of an artistic thing. Like you're creating a story. Um, I want to make sure that it accurately represents me and it's of high quality. And so that's why I, I really like to control control what I'm I think that's very admirable. And if anyone's ever listened to your podcast, you're it's incredibly polished. Like even even your uh your bumper music as you come into it, it feels very sort of like you're coming you're coming into a situation that is going to be well assembled. Hmm. And uh from the beginning of my podcast when I decided I was going to do this, um, my first steps were how do you even edit these darn things? So I started mm-hmm. experimenting with that. And when I decided I needed bumper music, I probably went through about a hundred different songs, you know, searching for just the right one with the right rights that sort of set the tone for mine. And mine is very, um, it's loud. And people were telling me, do you really need 30 seconds of bumper music? I said, no, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> It's your podcast. It's my podcast. So I mean, so much of what I do, whether it be data viz or podcasting, it comes down to asking forgiveness rather than asking permission. Mm-hmm. Like you'll sort of sort of know if it worked by whether people respond to it or not. So, you know, whether that be 30 seconds of bumper music or uh, loud colors in a data viz, it's, it comes down to discernment and personal style to a degree. Yeah, I know. It, ha- it has to be yours because otherwise, I mean, who whose would it be? I mean, if you are just trying to toe the line, <clears throat> in everything that you do, I mean, someone's not going to like it. So you might as well make it so that you like it because <laughs> you're not going to please everybody. But at the same time, the, you know, like I said earlier, the listener is king or queen. And um, there is that line you have to, to kind of walk as a database designer and a podcaster between doing your own thing and kind of finding your people, the people who want what you're offering, but also not going so far off the deep end that you're just annoying everybody with everything. And it's just like an, you know, atrocious. I mean, I have seen, okay. I took my daughters to see the, my little pony movie in theaters. Mm -hmm. So I know there's an audience for everything Mm -hmm. because that movie. Okay. I've, I've watched the show with them. The show's, fine the movie's the worst thing i've ever seen in my life and i Mm. I paid way too much money to see that so i'm saying having seen the my little pony movie in theaters there's an audience for everything and if you can find your audience then you're going to be able to do what you want if you're not Mm -hmm. able to find your audience you're going to be uh just speaking to yourself. Well, I think that speaks a lot too if you want to be a freelancer too right like your style and your way of working um, will, if you show the work that you want to create, those people hopefully will find you and you can create more of that work, but they're not going to find you if you don't put that stuff out there. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said for being, uh, specifically you and not always trying to just uh, toe the line and be neutral and do what other people are doing because, if you do you, then first of all, you enjoy it. And then you find the other people who are like you that enjoy it and you can connect with them, which is a special feeling. But then, you know, 
other people who have money who would like to pay you to do the work that you love will find you and pay you to do it. Um, so I, I think the only good things can come from, from, uh, from going your own way. I would agree with that. Um, so let me ask you, in terms of your data do- data designer dreams, where did that come from? Are there, were there specific influences that pushed you in that direction? Or was it more just exposure to a bunch of things? Like what led you to be like, this is what I want to do? I, I, so I started as a data analyst um, and that wasn't really all that fulfilling to me. And I was trying to figure out, so I guess I was probably about 25 and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, I really like maps. So I went and got a graduate certificate in geospatial intelligence. And I was like, Ooh, I'll be like a geo geo Intel analyst or something. And (laughs) surprisingly getting a, um, getting a higher, higher education doesn't guarantee you a job in that field. (laughs) Um, it's a hard lesson to learn, but, uh, so I just, it's, I was looking for a job and then I got pregnant and I had to stay in my current analyst job because of the whole FMLA thing. Um, you know, you can't get, if for people who don't know, you're not guaranteed um, like paid family leave if you're at a new company for less than a year. At least that's how it was. But so I was like, well, I guess I got to stay in my current job. So I did that. And um, then when my second daughter was born, I stopped working completely. And I thought this is a perfect time for me to figure out what I want to do. And, um, I tried a couple different things and I kind of went down the, I was trying to think of what can I do at home that would be a flexible schedule that kind of works in data stuff because I already have that background, might as well use it. Um, but that would be more fulfilling to me. So I tried out, uh, data journalism and I wrote a couple articles for a local magazine. Um, like one was like, uh, how, how much extra would you pay to live within walking distance of the metro? So I took isochrones around the metro in Arlington, Virginia. And then I overlaid that uh, with recent home sale prices so I could see um, how much extra people paid to live within walking distance of a metro um, and got that published. And then I realized that <laughs> it was probably like, Oh, you know, 40 hours of work and they, you know, like it was a local magazine. So they were like, well, our budget for something like this, you know, like for freelancers, is like $150. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> and then I asked around and that's kind of like, that's kind of normal. Um, unless you get, you know, a feature in like a national magazine or a worldwide magazine, but like certainly a local magazine, you're not, you're not making money. So it's like, well, $150 worth of work does not sound sustainable. So I got to try to find something different. And I realized in doing that project that I really liked the ending part where I have the results. So I started looking at uh, data visualization and it was actually hard for me to say at first. Like it was hard for me to say the word visualization. <laughs> so I always tripped over my words. I don't think I can be a data viz designer because I can't even say visualization. But um, so I looked into it more and I was listening to some pod, I was listening to a lot of podcasts at that time because, you know, as a new mom, you're just like constantly getting snacks and like feeding and cleaning up. So I can't sit at the computer all day. So I was listening to podcasts a lot. So I was like, well, let's see if there's a data viz podcast. So I started listening to data stories and it was just amazing hearing um, Enrico and Moritz talk and hear about that people actually got paid for this and they sounded so nice and sounded so fun. (laughs) I think these are my people. Um, And uh, so, yeah, so the only thing that I was wanting from DataViz podcast is I was like, well, how do I get better? You know, like what's kind of my next step? What is some 
inspiration that I can hear where I can go and um, try it myself. So that's kind of what inspired me to start the podcast, trying to just give myself what I want. Um, so I started creating episodes, uh, finding designers. Like one of my first, one of my first episodes was um, I e- emailed Nadi Bremer and asked her, and you know, of course I was a nobody, nobody then. And um, she, I didn't, I hadn't even launched the podcast yet. I was like, Hey, I'm going to start a podcast. <laughs> can I feature some of your work? And she was so nice and (laughs) responded back to me. Um, And I didn't even really know who I was talking to. And uh, it, with each episode that I did, I created an inspired work and that helped me learn and um, kind of build a portfolio. And then I just went with that and built a portfolio that allowed me to get a job doing someone actually paying me. So I don't know if that exactly answers your question of what drove me to it, but it was kind of like, just like an iterative process of trying to fit, find something that I like doing that also fit into my, to my family. And I'm very happy I'm here. I think it's fascinating how the actual sort of work and your podcasting were intertwined on the journey. Because whenever I think of you, I think more of your podcasting than some of your work, because, you know, feeds being what they are, it's very easy to lose people's physical work, but your podcast is always popping up in my podcast app. Mm -hmm. Um, So let me ask you this in terms of podcasting. You've been doing it for two years um, and have quite a few episodes under your belt. What is the best and worst part of recording and sort of editing your next podcast episode? Which part do you look forward to the most and which part do you look forward to the least? Um, well, I have two different styles of podcasts. Um, I have the interview, well, I guess maybe three. So I do the interviews with people um, where, you know, you actually talk to someone and you hear their voice. And the hardest part with that is um, getting the audio right, because there's always something like um, my last one was Stephanie Evergreen. I was using this, this trying out this new software and it has worked well in the past. And this time, like my audio, her audio thankfully sounded great, but my audio sounded awful. And it was just like this latency, like echoey sound. And it was just awful. And I, I should have done a backup, but I didn't. <laughs> I was spent so much time trying to fix it. So that's the worst part is I love the conversations with people and have it, letting other people hear their voice because that's very powerful. But it's it just offers so much more chance of unpredictability, which is why I didn't do that at the beginning. At the beginning, which I still do sometimes if people want to, I sent my guests a questionnaire about the data biz that I was featuring and they would answer it. And then I would kind of like massage it into a story. And then just me, I would talk about it um, and talk about like what I learned. And that was, that was so much easier in terms of logistics, but it is nice to hear the other person's voice. And I really like also talking and connecting with people. So um, that's probably my favorite part is, is being able to to connect with my guests. But I also like when I'm doing a solo episode um, where it's just me, I, I really like writing and um, I script out my, my, those podcasts where it's just me. Because I can't just go on and on about a subject. I like to be organized and <laughs> go somewhere eventually. So I really like the writing process of kind of making that flow, adding in some stories, and then and then just recording it without having to worry about anybody else's schedule or making sure the audio is sounding great. You know, since I know it's me, so those are that's probably that's probably my favorite and least favorite part of podcast. So I think for me, um, my favorite part is promoting, um, which. I actually dislike promoting myself very much. I'm very, mm-hmm. I'm very cautious about how I do that. Um, 
I make a lot of pointed effort to promote other people in general online because um, I do have some P.T. Barnum in my personality, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to be sensational or overly self-promoting. So I really enjoy that my podcast is about my guest and that I get to promote that person and put that out there and sort of build the hype for when they're on. Um, Mm -hmm. The hardest part, ironically, having just said that, is booking. I really don't enjoy booking. And for those of you that don't do podcasting, that means asking the next person to be on your podcast and sort of arranging the time and stuff. And part of that is because I'm just not really great about schedules in the first place. I mean, when I'm not working, which is pretty scheduled, I've got the kids, so I'm running around, you know, so that means the best time to record is either immediately after work, like we're doing right now, or later Mm -hmm. in the evening after my kids are asleep. Uh, But additionally, just in the asking It feels like you're asking for a favor on one hand, which you are because you're asking someone to give up their valuable time to you. But also there's, there's no one's ever said no, but it's like that feeling of asking someone out on a date kind of there's that I really feel awkward about this and I don't want to be rejected. And I know you're kind of being put upon right now by me doing this, but would you like to, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Um, So I really dislike that. And if anyone wants to volunteer to be my booker, that would be excellent. I will pay (laughs) you nothing. That's a perfect, yeah, that's a perfect, um, perfect task to outsource. If you want to spend more money on your podcast. (laughs) If you want in on my podcast empire, uh, which at this point is a few hundred dollars in the hole, um, I come on. Yeah. Well, um, one trick that is helpful has helped me is that asking other, your current guests, if they have, um, a suggestion for another guest, because then you can go to the next guest and be like, this person (laughs) recommended you as a next guest. (laughs) And it's kind of like you're in. That's excellent. I like that trick. Mm -hmm. It's like a Ponzi scheme. (laughs) <laughs> it's the Ponzi scheme of podcasting. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you're you're giving away all your tricks at this point. Yeah, I like, know. I, I should be making harder for you. <laughs> so um, in terms of personal projects, one of yours that I've enjoyed seeing pop up as you've worked on it is your data viz wallpaper, which mm-hmm. is like, uh, I know you're sort of hand drawing this uh, using Procreate on your iPad. Is that an iPad Pro mm-hmm. you're using, by the way? No, I don't think so. It's the cheapest iPad that you can get. I, you know, Fun fact, I actually started probably the first 20 of them are I made on my phone. There's a Procreate Pocket app. And <laughs> when I was just sitting in the carpool lane, because in school, I don't know if anybody else has this experience, but you have to get in the carpool lane to pick up kids from school like 30 minutes early, or you're just never going to get through the line and your kids have to stand out there forever. So I was sitting in the carpool lane forever. And so I downloaded the Procreate Pocket app and I started just doodling illustrations that I would use as like the header image for my blog posts on um, Dataviz Today. And um, then I started, when I got into the wallpaper, I was like, oh, I'll just keep using this. So I was making like 20 of these wallpapers just with my finger on my phone. I wish everyone could see my face right now because like I've been looking at these for a while, like doing these, these are, I mean, like they, they look period specific. They've got mm-hmm. all sort of the right, like fade to them and stuff. Okay. For, for context, there's a part in Iron Man, since I can't go through a podcast without getting super nerdy, where Jeff Bridges <laughs> yells at a scientist saying, Tony Stark built this in a cave with scraps. So for context, Ali Torben made that in a carpool line with an iPhone. Yes. And her finger. <laughs> That's spectacular. Wow. 
Yep. So, um, so then I was like, oh, well, I am really enjoying doing this. And I don't think this is just a fad for me. Like I really enjoy doing these artistic things. So I'll get an iPad. But then I was, I was looking at the pieces of the iPad. So I was like, oh my God. So I just got the cheapest one with like $300 and the pencil, which is like $100. So it's not an iPad Pro. You don't need anything too special. Really, you just need to procreate your phone if you want to to, to do it. And you can teach yourself. Like the my beginning illustrations were just like awful, like really, really bad. But I just thought, well, you know, like same with database, same with podcasting, you just have to start doing it. And then eventually they start getting better and you start learning the little tricks and like you get, you are able to find inspiration. So, um, so uh, yeah, I don't think that you need any special, really super special tool, but I do use the iPad with, with the pencil and the Procreate app now. I think that's the big takeaway from today's episode is don't wait for anyone to tell you you it's okay to do something or to tell you you should do this. Just start doing stuff and either you're going to pick it up or you're going to find another way to get to your objective. Mm-hmm. Yep, I totally agree. I don't think that you don't need anybody's permission to be a data viz designer. All you have to do is start designing data viz. Um, I think that's a, a great Austin Cleon quote. He says, like, forget the noun, do the verb. Like forget whether you're a designer or not, just design (laughs) and you'll be slowly become a designer, you know? That's amazing. And I, I quoted Jeff Bridges. So, I mean, you're beating me out by far. (laughs) My quote was a little classier. (laughs) A little, I mean, but it's look, this is on brand for me. So I've got no regrets. I talked about Green Lantern for five minutes once. So uh, (laughs) there's no shame here. It's, it's all gone. So this has been an absolute delight having you on. It's been fun to talk shop and it's been fun to sort of get to know sort of your story behind where the podcasting and the data biz came from. So before we wrap up today, is there anything you'd like to promote or people you'd like to shout out or anything? Um, I just, I would really thank you for, for having me on. And if you're listening, you like data viz and you like podcasts. So if you want to give data viz today a listen, I would greatly appreciate it. And um I think that's about it. I've I've really enjoyed our conversation. You definitely have a knack for the interview, (laughs) which I'm jealous. I like to talk and I second that. Definitely check out Data Viz today with Allie. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks so much, Zach. All right, bye. Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, You're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, Thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash d-a-t-a-p-l-u-s-l-o-v-e. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks to your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. 
You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one. You won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.